World Podcast number 309 for the 4th of July, 2012. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Philip Michaels. A happy Independence Day to you all. Hope you're enjoying the festivities. We here at Macworld never take the day off, except when we record podcast the day before the 4th of July. And today I'm joined by uh, two of my fellow Macworld editors, Christopher Breen. Hello, Phil. Hello, Chris. And Lex Friedman. Hi there. Who've, uh, who are putting down their sparklers and their hot dogs and their, and their accoutrement of patriotism to talk about iOS apps, two iOS apps specifically that have been in the news lately, Apple's own podcasts app. And Google's Chrome app for iOS. Let's start off with Apple, since we're the Macworld podcast, and talk about uh, a podcast. And my first question for you, Chris Breen, is why? Why did Apple release a podcast app here in 2012? Well, you know, we've been talking, I think, in past podcasts and certainly in articles we've written about iTunes and um the iTunes Store and the music app within the iOS, that they tend to be pretty crowded with a lot of different kinds of media. Um, and oftentimes, things like podcasts get left behind. They get buried. And as popular as podcasts are to some people, and they've been around for quite some time, there are a lot of people that don't know what they are, don't understand how to use them or how to procure them. And so what Apple has done, and I... I celebrate this this step on the Fourth of July as a uh, as a way of celebrating our independence from the iTunes Store and from the music app by giving podcasts their own app. So this allows you to easily find podcasts on uh, Apple's iTunes Store and download them directly to your iOS device instead of having to download them to iTunes and then sync them over. So it's a way of bringing podcasts to the fore. So, uh, to continue on with the why theme, why release it now as a standalone app and and not just as a built-in app, say, in iOS 6? I'm wondering if Apple's getting the idea that people are getting frustrated with iTunes and with um, with the music app and the iTunes Store app, that they're so crowded and that they have become more and more difficult to navigate to find the kind of content you want. So I'm hoping this is the first step, that they'll break out podcasts is one thing, and then they'll start creating other little stores for doing things. Um, Look at iBooks, for example. One thing that Apple didn't do is throw that into iTunes as well. They could have. uh, Thankfully, they didn't, at least on the iOS. Um, So I think you're, you're going to see, hopefully, this kind of loosening of iTunes as everything and instead start um, issuing component apps that take care of some of this stuff. Now, you, you've sort of touched on this already, but, but who's, the, who's the audience for this app? Who, who, who should use uh, podcasts? This was really designed with the new-to-podcast person in mind. If you're a podcast veteran, you're going to find more comprehensive apps at the App Store for a couple of bucks, such as Downcasts. Um, but really, if you haven't had much exposure to podcasts, this is a, a relatively easy way to get that exposure. Uh, the interface was designed in such a way that it would appeal to people that, um, that don't want a lot of bells and whistles that are, make it pretty obvious how to do it because it's really designed on the iBooks model and the iTunes Store model. All right. Um, 
let's start off by by accentuating the positive on on this national holiday. W- what do you like about the podcast app? Well, I think it's again, it's easy to get new podcasts if you want. Um, very much like the iBook store, they have instead of a, a store button, they have a catalog button because podcasts are free. When you tap that, the interface changes so that you have direct access to just the podcast area of the store. Apple puts kind of the most popular podcasts front and center. So if you're interested in This American Life or Radiolab, for example, which are both very popular podcasts, you can find them easily because they have kind of a greatest hits area. Um, If you want to look at top tens, that's easy to do as well. Once you've done that, all you have to do is tap on a podcast. You can either stream the podcasts, which is great, meaning you don't have to download them. You can download them if you choose to, or you can subscribe to them. Again, just press a single button. You've subscribed, and within a very short period of time, the podcast you subscribe to will appear within your library on in the app. Once you have that, you can then tap that and come up with some different options. And one is that you can auto-download podcasts. So if you don't want to check every week to see, oh, is there a new episode, or when is there a new episode, it will automatically download episodes for you. You can also mark things as new or as um, as played. So there's podcast management is easy to do. It's easy to procure podcasts. Um, so, so can can I interrupt yeah, you there for a second? Please do, because uh, one of my one of my frustrations with with um, podcast in the regular iTunes store is is kind of discovering new podcasts. And you mentioned uh, finding the popular ones, but uh, say I want to find I I very much enjoy sports and I enjoy intelligent discussion of sports. Is it easy to uh, 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 search and discover new and, and and maybe off the beaten track podcast using Apple's podcast app? Uh, to a point. One thing uh-huh. it does allow you to do is it has a categories listing. So you don't have to look at all podcasts. Instead, you could, you could search or browse just by sports podcasts if you wanted to. But uh, I don't actually listen to the things, but I'm assuming there are a lot of them. And, uh, oh, yeah. And they don't appear to be uh, ranked by intelligent discussion. So, yeah, no, they're not. Yeah. So there really is a, a genius feature in there, which uh, you could say, you know, this is what I'm looking for. I, I not only do want a sports podcast, but I want one about baseball, and I want it to be intelligent, and I want it to be about American League only. So there isn't that fine level of control. Rather, you can go to sports, but then you still have – your job is still to look through these things. Now, within each category, they do sort by ranking. So the, the first 10 you'll see will be the most popular podcast within that genre. Um, if you use this other feature, it kind of tries to go there, but I'm not quite so sure how well it does that. Well, if only it were as easy to find my sports podcast as it is to find intelligent Mac discussion in the podcast store. Just type in Macworld Podcast, friends. Uh, any other <laughs> any other strong parts to the app, uh, uh, Chris? Um, uh, let me see. What else is good about this thing? Um, you know, it has some, some cute interface elements. Um, and there's actually some hidden features in there that a lot of people didn't know existed. For example, it supports chapters in podcasts. Now, a lot of podcasts don't have chapters, so you don't encounter this very often. But ours does, and because... You know, you and I are the ones that plant these things in there. It's nice that they're supported so that people can skip around to different parts of podcasts. Uh, it also allows you to subscribe to podcasts that are not in 
the iTunes Store, which again is a feature that people didn't seem to know about because Apple doesn't make it obvious. But I'm glad that you can go outside the confines of the iTunes Store and find any uh, find and subscribe to any podcast that you like. All right. Well, that's the that's the good things about podcasts. Where is the app coming up short? And I should uh, before I let you answer, I should point out that Chris's review of podcasts is is up on the uh, macworld.com website and it is uh, thrilling reading as always and Chris what does Apple need to fix with this app well again it's designed for for new podcast listeners in mind and so they've done a couple of things to make it uh, apparently easier or more fun to use this so one thing they've got is when you go into your library you will see at the bottom of the screen a top stations listing if you tap on that it provides a large wheel at the top that has uh, general genres of, of podcasts. So that can be arts and business and comedy and education and so on and so forth. As you drag that wheel, which is an interesting interface element, you'll see little subcategories. So, for example, if I'm in business, you'll see a series of careers podcasts. And I go to the next one, it's investing. And then after that, management and marketing. Now, below that, they have a very large thumbnail image. And this is just the cover art. That's okay, um, except you only see one podcast at a time. So it requires then that you start swiping up to see the next podcast, which seems to me more trouble than it's worth. It would be nice if there were four to six to eight podcasts in there so you weren't constantly swiping to go through them. A real problem is that some podcasts are missing cover art. And unless you have the cover art, you have no way of knowing what that podcast is unless you tap a little info button next to it because they don't provide title information. Rather, you have to get that information from the cover art. Now, now is that Apple's issue, or is it somewhat of an issue of the podcast producer themselves who hasn't thrown in the cover art, or is it something that Apple should figure, well, uh, maybe not every podcast producer is going to throw in cover art, so maybe we should figure out a different way to, uh, to designate and arrange this? It's Apple's issue in a couple of different ways. Uh, in one way... I know for a fact that some of this stuff has cover art because I see it in iTunes and I've seen it on the iTunes store, so it's there. It's just that something in this app is not displaying some of this cover art. The other thing is that Apple is the company that's responsible for putting these podcasts in these positions. So I would be darn sure if I were them that if I put one of these podcasts in this app that it had cover art because it is no end of frustration to scroll through these things and have no idea what the podcast is. And tapping the info button is not a good solution. It's, I mean, this is clearly a bug. So for version 1.1, yes, Apple, please, please fix this. But beyond that, even if they do fix it, it really is a fairly inefficient way to, to discover podcasts. Again, if you're brand new to this stuff, and you do want to see sort of the top podcasts within a certain genre and a subgenre within... It's okay, but um, you know there are so many podcasts out there and so many good podcasts that aren't necessarily in the top 10, 15, or 100 podcasts, and I'm not sure that this is the best way to discover new ones. Okay. Anything else that, uh, that Apple could stand to improve on in podcasts? Yeah, there's um, – and I go both ways on this one. There, when you play a podcast – doing it as we speak, and uh, and the interface is slow, so let me just mention that while we're here. Um, so I'm playing a podcast, and as I do, there are little 
play controls at the bottom of the screen, and th- those are helpful. You know, back, forward, play, uh, jump ahead 30 seconds. So if for some reason you wanted to skip a commercial, and I have no idea why you'd want to do that, um, you can't. Certainly not a commercial in the Macworld podcast. No, never. Uh, but Or if you've you missed should, something. You should play those several times. <laughs> and that's why they have the back 10 seconds button, so you can hear the commercial over and over and over again. So that's good. Then when you swipe up on the podcast, appears uh, there appears a tape recorder in- interface, and it's a reel-to-reel tape recorder. So uh, if you're under the age of about 35, you have no idea what this thing is, but it's, it's a tape recorder. It's the way we used to record things. It's okay, um, but they kind of sacrifice a lot of space. Like we were talking about uh, chapter support before. So if you have a podcast that has chapters in it, it will show you chapter one when you first start the thing, and then an all chapters button. To then move through chapters, you tap on a forward button that's in the timeline, and that will take you to the next chapter. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't support chapter titles, so you don't know really what you're listening to. So again, if you're the kind of podcast that marks a commercial with a chapter, or there's a subject within a podcast that you're not interested that's marked by a chapter, you don't know what that is until you start listening to it. When we do the podcast, we include chapter titles so people know exactly what it is that's going to be in the podcast. And if they don't want to listen to that part, they can easily skip over it. So they should have some kind of chapter title support in this, and they currently don't. Um, Also, this thing takes up a lot of space. So if you were to support chapters properly, you could easily put in something like they have in the iTunes store, or, sorry, in iTunes when you're playing a podcast, and that's simply a drop-down menu that shows you all the chapters. That way, you can just tap on a chapter and go directly to it. In this case, you either have to use the forward and back buttons, or you have to use the timeline and scrub over to the next chapter. It's it's cute, but it's an inefficient way to do this, and this is sort of where Apple, I think, has has gone too far with this tape recorder interface. Again, it's very cool in that as you play the tape... reels off the left reel and goes onto the right reel. So it gives you kind of a visual representation of where you are in the podcast. But, you know, you you kind of sacrifice some efficiency when you do that simply to support this interface. Speaking of the music app that's that's built into iOS devices, I could still listen to my podcast in that if I I prefer, if I never... uh uh, care to download Apple's podcast app, correct? Yeah, you can, and there's actually a reason you might want to do that, and that is that the podcast app does not support playlists. So if you're the kind of person that listens to sport podcast, sports podcasts with intelligent commentary, and you like to mix and match them, and you're going on a long drive, and you want three or four of these things, not necessarily from the same provider, you can create a playlist in iTunes and then sync that over to your iOS device, and then that will appear in the music app so that you've got playlist there, but unfortunately the podcast app, which should have playlists, currently doesn't at this point. Hmm. Is there a third-party app you'd recommend to uh, to listeners who want more out of, uh, out of their podcast experience? Yeah, there are a couple of them that are quite good. One of them is Downcast. And Downcast um, and, and Eyecatcher is the other one. I, I'm not sure about Eyecatcher, but I do know that Downcast has a nice feature that I can't understand why Apple hasn't implemented this. And this is the ability to sync podcasts in a variety of ways. 
with a podcast app, it does have a variety of, uh, of a kind of syncing, which is helpful, which is if you have a podcast on one iOS device and that same podcast on another iOS device, you could start playing it on the first device. And as long as it's connected to the uh, Internet, it will then sync the position of where you stopped to your, other, to your other devices. So I can pick up my iPad, play halfway through this podcast, pick it up on my iPhone later, and it will start playing from where I left off, which is great. But it doesn't sync that information with iTunes, which is goofy to me, because sometimes I sit at my computer and I want to pick up a podcast there, and it doesn't do that sort of syncing. The other thing it doesn't do that Downcast does do is that it will sync subscriptions. So if within Downcast I subscribe to a podcast on my iPad, when I go to my iPhone that also has Downcast on it, I will find that it has uh, that I've subscribed to the podcast on that device as well. I don't have to subscribe again. In the podcast app, I have to subscribe on each and every iOS device I own, plus in iTunes if I want to put it there. So I think Apple dropped the ball on this one. And I think the ironic thing is that with Downcast, this actually is all done through iCloud, which is Apple's service. So it's not like they're spending some special magic to make this happen. Apple has access to iCloud, certainly, and it could do this, but for some reason it chose not to. Mm. So with podcasts, uh, just to just to put a pin in this discussion, is this an app you see Apple looking to improve, or is it just sort? It, it is it an app that they put out there and say, "Well, we've done we've done podcasts now, and 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 there it is." And it, if you, it, it's a basic app aimed for basic needs, and and uh, if you want something more advanced, there's plenty of third party apps like like Downcast and iCatcher and others out there. Um, or is it something that you see Apple going, "Well, let's fix this and tweak that and make this better and add some more features to." to make it more competitive with uh, with some of the third-party apps on the App Store. I think that they're going to continue to make this an app for newbies. Obviously, there are bugs that they need to fix. The cover art thing needs to be fixed. That can't go on the way it is. Um, I don't know that they're going to try to, to compete with something like Downcast because it, it would require a, a different and a little more complicated interface. Um, they could certainly improve things like putting in... Um, a more refined search feature for people who want to, to go a little deeper than they can with this. I think they'll put effort into it. I, I don't know that Apple... You know, Apple is getting slammed in on the iTunes store, or in the App Store for this app. The, the reviews are not good, and they're repeating kind of some of the same stuff I've said. And Apple certainly doesn't want to release an app that people are unhappy with. So I think they'll fix the bugs. They'll... I assume they're going to get the syncing thing together, uh, particularly with subscriptions. Uh, And a lot of this may depend on iOS 6. If with iOS 6, Apple has decided that podcasts is the only place you're going to get podcasts, and so they'll take them out of the music app, then they certainly have to put more effort into it. Okay. Lex Friedman, you've been very quiet. I will say on that last point, it's my belief that that's exactly what Apple's doing, that if you're in iOS 6, that you won't be able to get to podcasts from within the music app. Hmm. Well, that's a that's a th- thank you, Lex, for making that 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 uh, I, contribution. I waited, this, I waited this whole time to say that. But the reason you're here, yes. and now it's Chris's turn to sit in stony, contemptuous silence, uh-huh. is to talk about Chrome for iOS, which Indeed. I think you've been you've been using since uh, Google uh, released that app last week. I've I've definitely been trying it out. I will say there are definitely 
more Google apps for iOS than there are Apple apps for Android. Well, that was going to be my my, my first question to you, Lex Friedman. How very prescient of you. Um, why do you think uh, Google released an iOS version of Chrome? You certainly are not going to find an Android version of Safari right. on the on the Google Play Store. So, so why did uh, Google do this last week? Do you think? You know, our our mutual friend and colleague Dan Morin wrote a story on MacWorld uh, about that very question. And our I, mutual I, colleague, <laughs> I agree with Dan's conclusion. You know, Google wants to. Google wants to own your online experience. And if uh, clearly, even if Android devices, uh, by some metrics, outsell iOS devices, uh, every study that looks at web traffic shows that the vast majority of mobile web traffic is coming from iOS devices and not from Android devices or Windows phones or anything else. So I think Google's goal with putting Chrome, uh, as making Chrome available for iOS is to try to own your, your Internet experience a little bit more. If Without Chrome, you'll be able to turn to you'll be obligated essentially or it'll be necessary for you to turn to services like iCloud to start syncing things and if you're going to use Apple's iCloud to sync things then maybe uh, since iCloud doesn't work so well with Google's products like Google Docs or doesn't work at all with Google Docs then you would move away from Google Docs so I think it's it's an ownership play if if Google can give you a a syncable browser experience on your iOS device then maybe you'll stay as as a deeply ingrained citizen of the Google ecosystem so what's been your experience with the uh, mobile version of Chrome on your iPhone and iPad? Do you, uh, what are some of the stronger points? What are some of the weaker points for you? Well, I'll, I'll start out by saying this. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Google Chrome as a browser experience, and, and we should back up a step and say that for Google to release a browser for iOS, uh, that browser is by definition, nowhere near what you consider Google Chrome on the desktop because Apple has rules about these things. In the App Store for iOS, you can't, uh, you can't release your own HTML rendering engine or your own JavaScript processing engine. So Google Chrome for iOS is more about, uh, true to the name, it's more about the Chrome. It's more about the browser's user interface and features and not about the actual rendering behind it, uh, which, for which it uses, by necessity, WebKit. And, that, uh, and that's the case of any third-party app we should, we should emphasize. Right. Okay. Now, Google Chrome is built on WebKit. The, the desktop version is built on WebKit, too, but it's its own version, its own fork, its own flavor, and it uses Google on the desktop. We use its own JavaScript, JavaScript engine. It can't do those things on iOS. Uh, so, I mean, the browser's good. The, Google's done a, a lot of very innovative things th- with how it implements tabs and how you navigate. Um, but through some fault of its own and some fault that's not at all uh, Google's problem uh, or Google's responsibility, uh, it's got a lot of flaws um, that mar the overall experience. Do you want to talk about the good stuff first or the bad let's stuff talk, first? Let's though? talk about the good stuff. We talked about the good stuff first with podcasts before we all got right. all negative. So, let's, so let's, let's, let's extend the same courtesy to our friends at Google. It's, I mean, it's it's a very nice tabbed interface on the iPad, um, and I think its tabs actually could be said to have an adva- some advantages over Safari. I think they're a little bit easier to navigate these tabs. You can uh, they scroll nicely. If you want to move on one, you tap and hold and move it, and that moves very simply. And um, when you want to, you know, it's got this a uh, sort of clever, innovative means of navigating your tabs, which is you can just use a single finger swipe along the bottom 
of your iPad screen and you'll cycle through all the open tabs. So that means if you've got to bounce back and forth between a couple different tabs because you're cross-referencing data or you're just reading something so you can type it into another field, instead of going up to the top and tapping on those tabs each time back and forth, you can just do this this nifty finger swipe that once you get the hang of it is is pretty speedy. And it's the, it's one of those things like pull to refresh that once you see it implemented so smartly in Chrome, you start start to expect you're going to see it implemented in any apps that start that you know that rely on tabs for their interface. Mm. Um, even on the iPhone side, where you don't see your tab bar at all time, uh, the tab navigation is is very cleverly done. Where you get these, uh, where if you think about Safari and its tabs on the iPhone, you've got this um, horizontally laid out. Uh, river of all of your open screens up to eight screens right and so you can swipe through them from left to right and you'll see most of, you know you'll see a full preview of the current page and then on the left and right you'll see the little slivers of edges of the other pages that you can navigate to in either direction chrome goes for a, a more vertically oriented approach on the iphone and it's uh, like a series of cards and you can flick through all your different open tabs as these different cards and you tab on the one that you want and they all have these nice visual previews and it's, it's speedier it's faster to navigate than it is on safari uh, the other thing that, that Chrome is doing really well outside of the, the tab side is it's it's already in using some improvements that Apple says are coming in iOS 6, but, you know, this is today, and iOS 6 isn't available for us yet. So, for example, um, with uh, iOS 6 promises iCloud Sync for all of your open pages. Uh, I think they call it iCloud Tabs. So if whatever pages you've got open in Safari on your Mac, you can go over to your iPad and access those pages there, too. If you log into Google Chrome uh, on your Mac and on your iOS devices, you can do the same thing. So you can tap on a button and see all of your open tabs from your computer and all of your, you know, even from different iOS devices and navigate them that way. It's a very quick way to send pages from one device to the other. Or, you know, if you knew you were doing research on one device and now you're on another one to go back to that page, it's very useful. It's something that you can very quickly rely upon. Uh, the other thing that um, that Chrome brings that... It, this 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 will be our hybrid. This will be how we move from good to bad, Phil, uh, okay. because it, it falls somewhere in the middle. All right. It's, it, it's got Google's Omnibar, which um, Apple says is coming to Safari in Mountain Lion, but not to iOS. But it's got this Omnibar, meaning rather than having one field for searches and one field to type in URLs, it's got one field for everything. Uh, you can either use the, the location bar to type in a, a search. By default, it will unsurprisingly use Google, although you can change that behavior. Or you can type in a URL and go there. Uh, you know, I'd been thinking, why doesn't Apple seem to have plans to do that in iOS 6? And then someone pointed out the idea that probably Apple is holding off since it uses two different keyboards, uh, depending on whether you're entering in a URL or entering in plain text. If you're entering in a URL, Safari gives you that .com button, and it, it, it hides certain, you know, on the iPad or iPhone. It's it a contextualized keyboard. Exactly. Yeah. Hides characters you don't need. So how does Chrome get around that? By... Adding It uses the regular text entry keyboard and then adds its own set of uh, special buttons on top of it. Um, so it gives you the colon, a dot, a dash, a slash, and a dot com button. Uh, and that's okay. It's a, it's a clever way of saying here's a dual-purpose keyboard that you can use for both purposes. But at least as of right now, it's, it's fairly flawed. Uh, the dot com button doesn't work like the dot com button that's in the standard dot com buttoning on the keyboard where you can press and hold and expose other options like dot net or dot org or dot edu if that's a feature you use and i use it all the time you kind of depend on it and now first you have to get used to the fact that the dot com button's not used to not sitting where you're used to it sitting and two it doesn't have that tap and hold behavior 
and the you know they they picked out some special characters, but they're you know they're on top of the keyboard, not in the places you're used to finding them. So it's it's a little bit slower. If you're going to enter in a URL, it's definitely a little bit slower in Google Chrome because of the fact that it's using the the non-contextual keyboard. Mm. But still, I like the idea of having that one field because I too often, uh, not because of my fat fingers, but more because of my limited capacity brain, I too often tap on the wrong field in Safari. I, I tend to have this, especially in the iPhone, I have this problem where I tap on exactly the field I don't need. How I envy you people without your fat fingers. <laughs> um, we've, 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 we've emphasized the positive. Now let's let's turn the page and uh, say mean things about Google Chrome, Lex. <laughs> you know this is this is the part where if Chris Breen were going to weigh in, he would want to because I know Chris is no no big fan of Google's. But uh, let's divide the flaws in Chrome to two categories: the ones that are its fault and the ones that aren't. On the ones that aren't Google's fault, uh, some of them we can place the blame squarely on Apple. And the biggest one is you can't set it as your default browser. Uh, Apple doesn't give you that option on iOS, and that hurts apps like Sparrow, an email client, a third-party email client, or Gmail. Uh, you can't say, you know, anytime I want to write a new message or anytime I tap on a link that would generate a new email, launch this app. It's, it's going to only launch Apple Stock Mail app. And the same is true with links and your web browser. So any link you tap on is going to launch Safari. If you prefer Chrome or if you want all your links into Chrome, that means you've got an extra step every single time. You tap on a link. You launch Safari, you copy the link, and go over to Chrome. And that's, that's annoying, and that's problematic. Apple thus far hasn't said anything about changing that policy, allowing other apps, third-party apps, to set themselves as the default app for that protocol or that, that system. Um, but it, it seems like Chrome is really going to force Apple's hand there because it's, I, I don't know. In my experience in, of, of using Chrome, trying to use Chrome as my default app for a few days, I keep forgetting to use it because you tap on a link from somewhere and you end up, you know, if it's a, a link in an email message, you end up in Safari again and then I, I forget that I should try copying and pasting it. Uh, the the other big, you know, s- systemic flaw, I guess, the, the web rendering I think is fine. You know, even though Google uses its own variant of the WebKit rendering engine on the desktop, the fact that it's using the native Apple version for on iOS isn't a problem. The, the part that could be a bit of a problem is on the JavaScript side. Apple has this super fast JavaScript engine on iOS that they call, I believe it's called Nitro. And it's, not, it's only available when you're using the actual Safari app. If you're using any other app that includes a web view of any kind, you know, your Twitter client or a newsreader or anything, or certainly a, another web browser like Chrome, it's not allowed to use that fast JavaScript engine because I guess that, that JavaScript engine goes nitro goes too low in terms of the the processing power or code base of the ipad itself and they don't want to expose that to potentially malicious third parties so it's i mean it's fine you'll be able to browse the web and it's not that it feels slow uh, on its own but it feels slow if you compare javascript intensive processes on from from safari to to chrome you'll notice the difference you know uh, it's and there's again like we said there's nothing google can do about it but you'll feel it it's also a little bit annoying that given that they're on the same device and using the same rendering engine that their cookies are completely siloed meaning you have to log into all the sites you're already logged into a mobile safari over again in chrome but once again that's not chrome's fault some things are chrome's fault though uh we talked already about the the sometimes annoyances of the uh of the location bar being that omnibar with its weird keyboard. But uh, Google has built in its own voice-powered search. And you tap on this little microphone icon in the location bar, and it starts listening, but it doesn't This is similar to Google's Google search app or Google app for iOS, yeah. 
And uh, in my experience, Google's speech recognition is terrible. And I don't know if that's because I've gotten used to... I, I mean, you can hear the, the dulcet tones of Lex Friedman right now. I, I, I don't know if I've cut, you know, custom-molded my voice to match what Siri's listening for at the expense of Google, but I have found I have extremely poor success rates using Chrome's built-in Googling... Uh, I'm sorry, Chrome's built-in voice searching option for, for performing searches. It just it mangles everything I say. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's got... Uh, the bookmark navigation I find a little bit annoying. There, there are too many taps away. Uh, I expose, I show the bookmarks bar in Safari where you can, you know, get quick access to your bookmarks folder. But to get to your Chrome bookmarks, you either type the bookmarks name in the location bar, which isn't really how my brain works, or um, you tap on one button and then tap on a second button to show your bookmarks, and then you navigate through a long list of your bookmarks. It's, it's rather inelegant, uh, particularly when compared to Safari. Uh, and I would say, you know, the the rest of it is really overall it's impressive. It's a more impressive app than I expected when I first you know started diving into it. Where it's you know it's it's smartly laid out for the most part. It makes like we said you know quick work of you know browsing between uh, different tabs and looking at pages from your other devices and stuff. But uh, some of the 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 flaws that that aren't Google's fault, coupled with the the couple that are, make it hard. <laughs> if I could set it as my default browser, I'm not sure that I would. Uh, to to summarize, then, uh, why would someone want to use Google's Chrome browser over the built-in Safari app? If you are a, a contented member of Google's ecosystem, meaning you use Chrome on your desktop, you're you're happy and content to have Google sync your data between devices. Uh, it's a pretty solid advantage. I mean, for the fact that, you know, the browser can see your, your Chrome history from your desktop is very useful. And the fact that it can, you know, know who you are, if you've got a Google account that's with all those other linked Google services, it can connect all of those things for you. And it's, you know, it, it can be a big help. Um, if you, but it's, it, it takes effort too. So, I mean, I think somebody who's, who's really bought into Google and is willing to, to rely on Google for all those things will, could be happy in Chrome. But uh, especially that default browser issue makes it a, uh, it's tough to use con- consistently. <laughs> just, to, just to put all this in context then, is there any uh, third-party browser that has won the heart of Lex Friedman? Or, or are you Safari all the way? I, uh, I am a Safari man on iOS. How about you, Chris? I am because I, I just I've tried other ones. I tried Chrome, and it isn't satisfying. I think Apple has has a built-in advantage in that Safari does talk to other apps easily, and uh, and doesn't seem to allow others to to have that sort of privilege. So until it does, I think Safari is always going to have the leg up. I I tend to agree with the both of you, though. For third-party apps, I think that Atomic Web Browser does a does a pretty good job. Of uh, of being a Safari alternative, and I'd I'd recommend that to people who aren't necessarily fans of uh, the built-in Safari browser. Noted, hmm. duly noted. And on that note, um, I think we've taken up far too much of the time of Chris Breen and Lex Friedman. Time that they could be spending firing off their illegal fireworks or uh, 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 having barbecues with their families. So I'd like to thank both of them for joining us on this on this festive July Fourth podcast. Happy Fourth of July! It's Phil. been a pleasure. And I'd like to thank you, listeners, for making us part of your holiday. We'll be back next week. Take care until then. 